It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, you're very welcome to the Mickleford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, today we have a very particular story for you. Earlier this week, I spoke to a couple, John and Joanna O'Hara from County Longford. I first heard their story on the Policed podcast presented by DCU's Dr. Vicky Conway, and Vicky also joined us in our conversation. John and Joanna have no interest in entering the public domain, but they feel that their experience is something that should receive notice, and not just because of what they have endured, but because it may go some way towards the introduction of changes in how the Gardaí handle what are essentially minor issues that can become life-changing and unfortunately even life-ending. John and Joanna's son Niall was a 20-year-old student in Minute University when he took his own life on March the 18th, 2019. He was, by all accounts, a very sociable young man, very sporting and he had plenty of friends. He was in his third year in Minute, and at weekends he came home and worked on the family farm with his father and he also worked on a part-time job in Cavan, which would of course be very common for most students. Football was Niall's great passion. From when he could walk he was kicking a ball and as soon as it was practical he began playing for his local club St Mary's. He also played with the college in Minute, and he turned out for the Longford Miners. To all intents and purposes, Niall had everything gone for him on the cusp of adulthood. On the morning he died, he arrived home after spending the night in Cavan where he'd gone out with friends the previous evening, which was St Patrick's Day. His mother noticed that he wasn't his usual self and at one point he left the house and headed out. Joanna thought maybe he'd gone up to his grandmother's house, which was nearby. Sometime later she rang there and was told that he hadn't been there. So she went out and she walked up through the fields neighbouring their home and there she came across Niall. He'd taken his own life. She contacted John, her husband, and one of her principal concerns at the time was that the couple's other two sons would not arrive on the scene. Pretty soon the Gardaí and paramedics were there and they went about doing what they're required to do in the tragic aftermath of a suicide. At one point, one of the paramedics suggested to Joanna that she might like to sit with Niall which she did. I suppose in the kind of terrible grief and confusion that can only be imagined that, she searched the pockets of her son's jeans for some clue as to why he acted as he did. She was hoping to find maybe a note or something. What she did find was an official form, and she asked one of the guards what it was, and he told her that it was a charge sheet that Niall must have been arrested the previous night. This naturally added to her distress and confusion. Now, it was to turn out that the charge was for a public order offence, a really minor issue, but quite obviously it wasn't minor in Niall's mind. Later, the family were to learn that this was the second of two relatively similar incidents involving Niall, where he had been arrested. The previous one, the crucial one as far as his family are concerned, occurred in Sligo during College Rag Week, which was around the beginning of March that year, just a couple of weeks previously. That had resulted in a public order charge, 
and John and Joanna are convinced that the prospect of appearing in court on this charge was the catalyst that sent Niall down the route he took. Now this should be placed in context. Young people in general, and students in particular, often drink to excess. Things can get messy. Sometimes things occur that involve the Gardaí, and when there's no violence or nothing of a serious nature, it can end up just with a public order charge. More often than not, that this attracts a fine in court, and quite often, it doesn't even end in a conviction. When judges routinely apply the Probation Act, telling defendants to make a contribution to charity. That kind of thing would be very usual, particularly when it's a first offence, as it was with Niall. He had never been in trouble before. Now, apparently, he did not view it in such benign terms. As I say, he'd never been in trouble. And his parents believe that his arrest in Cavan the night before he died, after another minor incident, was as a result of his trepidation and anxiety because of the upcoming court case to do with Sligo. He'd spoken to a number of his friends on that night out in Cavan, his last night. John and Joanna, of course, weren't aware of any of this while Niall was alive. After Joanna found the charge sheet, one of the local Gardaí made inquiries and he found out that Niall had been arrested on the previous incident in Sligo. So the couple had major questions about what had happened to their son on those two nights that were completely out of character for him. A couple of days... After Niall's death, two local Gardaí appeared at the house. There came two lads out from Granard, but they just, like, I don't know really what they came for. They just threw a Pieta House leaflet on the table. A folder of information from Pieta House that we didn't even know what it was because it, it took us weeks before we even checked to see what was inside the folder. Do you know, I, I just, maybe they thought that's what their way of reaching out to us was to just hand us over this information. I don't know, but... But they knew that we needed answers. Um, and so like everybody was aware that we were going to go to Cavan at some point. But nobody, I suppose we thought or we hoped that they would reach out to us. It would have been, because we, did, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how. We were lost. To initiate it or, yeah. And in all of this, it was difficult because we didn't know what we were going to find out. We didn't know what we were going to learn. So, you know, it took a lot of courage on our behalf to, to initiate that as well. You know, but if they had have met us halfway, it definitely would have it would have helped. So the O'Hara's set about trying to find out what had happened. The shock and pain of what occurred meant they did nothing for about six weeks. Then John picked up the phone and rang Cavan, and he told him that he would like to talk to the Gardaí who had been there on the night Niall was arrested. That he and Joanna would like to talk to them about how their son had been. What had happened if there was anything that could have driven them to some form of despair? The people they were looking for would have included the two Gardaí who actually were involved in his arrest, the sergeant in charge of the station when he was brought in and the sergeant who was present when he was released later that morning. It took a while to get the ball rolling for this meeting but eventually it was arranged. Then when John and Joanna showed up at Cavan station they were met by two inspectors, one male and one female, who had been told to meet them. The couple found these Gardaí to be sympathetic, but they weren't whom John and Joanna wanted to talk about, and they explained this to them. So then a second meeting had to be arranged. Meanwhile, John also rang Sligo to see if a similar meeting with the Gardaí there could be organised so that they could find out what happened on the night they believed to be the crucial night. He was told when he rang Sligo Garda Station that if he wanted to have such a meeting, he would have to apply to the relevant superintendent in writing. 
This now remember is a grieving couple who simply wanted to know how their son, on these occasions, that appeared to have a major impact on him, had acted and why it had such a big impact on him apparently. They weren't pointing fingers at the guards. There was no allegation that Niall had been mistreated in any way. They simply wanted to know what had happened to their son. Eventually, the rearranged meeting in Cavan took place. Yes, there was the, the superintendent, inspector, the guard of welfare officer, um, two of the guards involved with Niall, one young lad who arrested him and the sergeant who was there when Niall was being released and a young female guard taking um, minutes. The other two guards that were involved, the, the, there was another guard involved in the arrest. He had already been transferred to Donegal and the reason he couldn't be there is because he had a dental appointment. That's what we were told. I don't remember us being told anything about the other sergeant, the sergeant that was there when he was brought in. I, I don't think we were... I don't think we were told why he, he wasn't present. Was it at that meeting that um, you were told that Niall had said on the night in question uh, something to the effect of, is this going to get out or will anybody know about this or do I have to go to court? Yes. But yeah, that, that happened when he was leaving. Apparently when he was leaving the station, he asked that question. It was on that occasion that you heard that he had asked that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, quite obviously, that was an indication of how strong he felt about the Absolutely. issue. Um, and how confused it's yeah. And then, John, you to leave a number of messages before the meeting was set up. Again, I'm just getting at, there doesn't seem to have been anything proactive on the side of the Gardaí to ensure that he could come in and that they'd be able to offer whatever solace or comfort they could. There was nothing proactive. You, you had to keep chasing it. Yeah, initially, initially after the first phone call, I suppose it was just a matter of saying who we were and what we kind of wanted, you know, and eventually then he he said he'd look after his end and he'd set up meetings and maybe a week later I might have to send him a text to ring again to see had he had he made any progress in, in you know, like there was a lot of to and fro and it was very frustrating. Very frustrating, you know, and I can, we were trying to <clears throat> live with the loss of the Boston and, you know, without all this having to go on as well, you know, we didn't, all we wanted was a few straight answers. We Absolutely. desperately needed to know why, why we were in the place that we were in now, how and how we could possibly be, be in this place. <laughs> and I found amazing, Joanna, you, you mentioned that the super said to the Gardaí, um, if any of you are uncomfortable at any stage of this. No, he directed that towards the two guards, towards the sergeant and the young guard. Um, but the, the initial the initial meeting was with, with, with the four guards, this is on the second day, but he, he brought in, the superintendent brought in the two guards that was involved in his arrest. And then that's when he addressed them to say, at any stage, if this is uncomfortable for you, you can you can leave. If you don't mind me asking, how did the two of you feel about that? Actually, we were disgusted. Because yeah. as Joanna said in the podcast, like we, we couldn't escape from our uncomfortable life. And we weren't there to make anybody feel uncomfortable. We were there to get to get answers. And um at, at that point when that was said, we'd had quite a lengthy meeting with the superintendent and the inspector. We were exhausted, mentally exhausted. 
And it probably wasn't a good idea to continue with it, but we, we felt because we had requested this, because we'd asked to speak with the guards, we needed to, 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 to go with it. Um, so it, it, went, it, it was just, it was so hard to believe, to believe the words. You think if we weren't so harsh and in such an awful place and in, so, in the depths of grief, you'd have laughed at it and thought, this is outrageous that you could say that and think that it's okay. Yeah, and the other thing that it suggests, I mean, a meeting with that tone, it's nearly as if um, a, a primary concern of the senior officer there was to protect his guards as if they required protection, whereas all you as grieving parents were looking for was just some answers as to what specifically had happened. Absolutely. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, I, I understand that his his in his job, in his role, in wanting to protect them as well. I, I, I get that. But that shouldn't have been said there and then in front of us. Um, and a lot of it was, the tone very much was with the superintendents, like our guards did their job. You know, there's nothing, you know, they did their job. There's nothing else to be spoken or talked about here. He didn't want, when we mentioned about policy changes or things that quite could be done differently, he didn't want to hear that. That just, you know, that just he just didn't want to discuss it. OK, and you mentioned that, um, that when you asked him about how Niall had been and what he had spoken about, that they, mm. they, they said about he spoke about football, about Manute, and that he was an absolute gentleman. And and you suggested, Johanna, that um, you, you, you got the impression that these answers were nearly mm. what they expected you wanted rather than genuine. We did, didn't we? We felt that it, it did feel a bit pre-rehearsed because when we went to speak with the inspectors initially, that was the day that we thought we'd get talking to the guys. We brought so much stuff with us about night. We brought photographs. We brought, we were talking so much about him. They learned so much from us about him at that meeting because we really wanted them to see the side of Nile that we knew and loved and that we, we needed to get that across. So armed with all that information and they were taking minutes at that meeting as well. It just felt that, you know, they were they were telling us what they thought we'd like, we wanted to hear. Um, because honestly, if you could sit and have a conversation with them at that point and talk about all those things and they, and describe them as a gentleman, why would you throw them? Why would you put them in a cell? Why would you do that? Why would that be the course of action you'd take? I don't believe there was any conversation with I. I think they just did whatever they do and just just threw him in the cell because at one point we asked did when they kept telling us that it was minor and we said well did anybody explain that to our son and they said we don't have time for that <laughs> we're busy and we said well we would very gladly have taken him from you we would have taken him off your off your care and and explained that to him ourselves um yeah so <laughs> Would it be fair to say, and, and if not, please please mention it, but would it be fair to say that the impression you got is that they were defensive rather than sympathetic and helpful? Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. 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 The, the, they were, look, the, the spiel off their sympathies, but it, it wasn't it wasn't from the heart. Um, they, had, they had lots of time beforehand to sympathise and they didn't. Um, the inspector was nice. I really felt... I, I felt he genuinely cared 
As I mentioned earlier, Dr Vicky Conway from the DCU School of Law and Government has been assisting the family. Vicky's an expert in this area of policing and she sat on the Commission for the Future of Policing, the commission that was conducted there a few years ago in the wake of a number of Garda scandals. A few aspects of this case immediately jump out for her. There's two things there. I mean, for regard to say we don't have time to explain that the offence is minor, they have a legal obligation to make sure that any detainee fully understands what's going on. Um, that's a legal obligation. Um, also, if it was so minor, why did they not consider an adult caution, um, which, you know, public order offences are on the list for consideration for adult caution. But also for the superintendent to kind of defensively approach that meeting, that might be acceptable if he had conducted a review of what happened and was satisfied. But even that should have been said to you. You know, I have personally reviewed the case. I've looked at the custody records. I've looked at if there was CCTV of the, you know, the custody area, mm-hmm. whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And, and I did, Vicky. He did. He did. He said he had CCTV footage. And he'd reviewed it. Well, he, he said he said he, that they had looked at, and as much as says that his his guards, it was Paddy's night and his guards done what he didn't see and wrong what they had done. Yeah. Again, I suppose that's down to a question of what policies they were following as much as anything. He, you know, he may have been coming from that perspective. Am I correct also that it was in Cavan that there was references to Sligo that basically you should go and see what happened in Sligo? Yeah, yeah. They kept, they kept putting us back that as as much as saying like, that you need to find out what happened in Sligo that like they did they did tell us that he was found in, in possession of a substance and that that it was rampant, the drugs were rampant and that were rampant in GA clubs and they just kept put instilling that in us that, that that's that's why it happened. Like you know you need to you need to go back there and find out. It took the couple another six months to get anything back from Sligo. They did not get, and they haven't got since, any meeting with the Gardaí involved on the night that Niall was arrested. What they did get eventually was a report. It should be noted here also that the couple were fortunate enough to have a senior politician attempting to help them. By pure coincidence, Stephen Donnelly's wife is from the same area in Longford, near Granard, and they encountered the then spokesman for health, the Fianna Fáil spokesman for health, at Niall's month's mind. He offered to do what he could, and they gave him a letter to pass on to the Minister for Justice to see if he could arrange the meeting in Cavan. Now, by the time a reply came from the Minister, that meeting had already occurred. But thereafter, John and Joanna repeatedly attempted to get some information from Sligo, and they wrote on a number of occasions. In early November 2019, in total frustration, Joanna sent Stephen Donnelly another request, this time with a photograph of Niall, which she asked be passed on to the Minister. A senior Garda contacted him a few days later. Now, the couple are also entirely complimentary of the assistance Stephen Donnelly gave to them in their endeavours. In any event, they received a report from Sligo in late November, over eight months after Niall had died. I suppose the first encounter they had with, with Niall was... Some, we, we, we still don't know. There's still an awful lot we don't know, but this is what was on the report anyway, that they met up with Niall and that he, he looked... To be to be well on it, and they decided to, to search, and then 
they, they, they said they found this substance. Um, the, the fella that he was with, we don't know who he is. So still don't still know. Still don't know. Um, which would be very, very unlike Neil. Um, uh, I think Neil asked for a, a solicitor and then they decided to let him go. And then <clears throat> after a few hours, um, the, the scene Neil, they happened to be driving by somewhere and Neil had been refused entry to a nightclub and um, they encountered him again and what they say is that they arrested him for his own safety, that uh, that uh, seen him. Now, I don't know whether the, the, the seen him going across this barrier into the river or it's whether he ran or look, it's all a blur. Like, and that's why that's why we need to get talking to them face to face and have it look them in the eye and say, it, we always we want the truth. And it's it's all this not known that leads to more suspicion, and then you get a bit of a a bit of a, an answer, and that leads to another question and another question, and that's our frustration in all this. And I suppose in that being arrested for his own safety, like we would be very grateful to them for doing that for our son. But why was there not medical help sought if they felt they needed to arrest him for his own safety? What made them decide? that they didn't need to get medical intervention then, you know. And as, as Vicky rightly mentioned there, where was the adult caught in all this? Nile had never been in trouble in his life before. He'd never, ever, he'd never done anything. Why was he not considered for that? Like, I, I really would love somebody to, to explain that to us, to, you know, because it's, it's a great, it's a great system. I mean, Nile sitting in front of a superintendent for an adult caution would have had a greater effect on him than putting him in front of a judge. It would have been a massive life lesson, not a life lost. Absolutely. I mean, a couple of things arise, though, even about the circumstances uh, as laid out there. In the first instance, if it was the case that any kind of a substance had been found one would have thought that that was a, an issue for arrest anyway, and he obviously wasn't arrested there. The other issue is, look, we're living in a world where particularly young people, students, you know, thing, things get out of hand now and then, and how well that is dealt with and react, notwithstanding the Gardaí having a difficult job. But one way or the other, as you say, he, he, he wasn't arrested at that point or anything, and then you had the later incident, and he was taken to a Garda station, and he was... He was left in the station for yours and his release was at about five in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was charged at apparently 1.30. Now, I don't know how they could possibly have charged him. He definitely was in no state to be able to understand what, what was going on. But he was let go at five o'clock. And they brought him back because the station they brought him to was outside of Sligo Town. And they brought him back to where he was staying. But the next day, he had no idea what happened or what went on. He just had the charge sheet and he needed to, to find out. So he went back with a friend to the station in the town. He didn't even know. He didn't even know. That's how he had no idea that he was brought to a station outside the town. So he went to the, the local guard station. And that's and that's another issue. Like you know as a father I suppose you you're probably thinking the worst maybe what happened in that time frame. You know like why was he why was he brought Twenty minutes, half an hour over the town. Like, well, what could have happened in that time frame? That's yeah. And the other issue being, 
that morning in order to find out what had been the story, Niall, he, he went to the station. So he obviously was somebody who wanted to go in and see what the problem was and if it could be straightened out or whatever. And if you knew Niall, you have no idea the courage that would have taken for him to put to walk in there. Like he didn't go on his own. He brought his friend. He wouldn't go on his own. But he walked in and asked. I, I just, I mean, that was such a missed opportunity to sit him down at that point and, and to talk to him. And like the guard in question has no um has no memory of him. Doesn't remember him being there at all. I mean, that's just oh that's frustrating, very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, as you say, John, an opportunity there. Young man, quite obviously, student, he's out at night, things get out of hand. A guard could have said to him, look, this is what you did. You were out of order. And, you know, perhaps, as you say, is that an opportunity in situations like that for an adult caution, just basically to put the price on somebody? And, and, exactly. And that would have worked with now. It really, it really would. He'd have took that on board. He wouldn't have liked it. He wouldn't have liked to sit, to sit in front of a superintendent, but it would have been a massive lesson for him. And for any young one, really and truly, that's what they, they just need, that bit of guidance or, you know, some said this, this is what's going to happen next if you find yourself in this place. Or even for them to, to, to have a conversation about being careful around drink or maybe you're drinking too much or, you know, just, you know, just a conversation. He, I suppose he would have let Slago and in his own head, not having a clue what happened or, you know, what what the what repercussions. the repercussions were, like, and where it was going to go from there, like, he, and you can imagine the poor young Felicia, his head was fraying. It was a lot for him to try to deal with on his own, but but without a doubt, it was it was too much. It was too much for him. I mean, a lot of his friends have said that, that he did mention things. And, of course, he was very quiet in Manus. He wasn't going out drinking or anything afterwards, so wasn't saying much. It was the night before this, this our awful nightmare, when he was out in cabin and had a few drinks, he opened up. He started to talk to his friends then because he had had, he had the drink and, and he was able to, to speak maybe. And he... Just, nearly every, every one of his friends he spoke to that night, he mentioned Sligo at some point and how worried he was about the whole thing. And I think, well, we think he drank probably to blot it all out. And the worst thing you can possibly do, as we know, when you're in that sort of a place, is to drink alcohol, is to drink at all. You know, you're going to you're going to get yourself to, into a worse place. So um, it just it just spiraled, I suppose. Absolutely. And on the basis of your experience, but in terms of, of, of what you now know, Niall experience and, and your experience as bereaved parents and trying to put together what had happened. I mean, are, are there specific areas of policy that you think should be addressed for the future if anybody finds themselves in a similar situation? Definitely. <laughs> well, I think that a huge thing is around, I mean, the adult caution um, is definitely one thing. Why is that not mandatory? Make it mandatory. Make it something that you have to consider. Um, that, 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 that would be huge. The other area like, of duty of care, I'd like to know what the guards believe their duty of care is. And by that definition, how did they treat, how did they fulfil that duty in their treatment of Nile? And if they feel that that wasn't, that that wasn't fulfilled, what are they going to do in future? How are they going to put policies in place to ensure that that does, that do, that does happen? Um, 
the risk assessments, I mean, they need to be they need to be looked at. Um, a better risk assessment than what's there at the moment. But but having risk assessments on their own without access to medical help or support is a waste of time. I mean, you know, it needs to be done in conjunction with more better medical support and. Um, the other element then, of course, is the dilemma that you found yourselves in um, afterwards. Yeah. I mean, what do you think could be done there? Again, like not, not putting too fine a point, that customer service is basically how the Gardaí describe what they do. And, and as members of the public, as members of in, in, in the situation you found yourselves in, um, your experience wasn't very positive either. Absolutely not. That's a shocker. Shocking, like, like we 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 made it clear from the start that we weren't we we weren't in the game of blaming anybody. We all as we wanted was just ask the questions, look them in the eye, and get the answers. And unfortunately, that's still we we still have so many questions unanswered. There's questions we'll never get the answer to, but we 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 deserve the right to have them questions answered by the guards involved. And not hiding behind their superintendent or hiding behind their welfare officer. Look them in the eye and say, did this happen or that happen? And we'll make our own judgment on it then. And then we can move on and grieve and whatever else we have to but do. But in, in that as well, I think in their capacity to answer, if they can't, that we get a promise from them that they're going to do, that they're going to to bring about change. You know, let Nile be the catalyst for that change, not not a reason for silence and just pretending that, you know, by not answering the hard questions, you're not learning anything. Like no policies are, are written in stone. Things change all the time and they need to adapt to that. And they need to, there's massive reform, I think, we think required. And a liaison officer, I suppose, in all of this would have been very helpful to us. Somebody to reach out that could have led the way that we could have, you know, that could have helped us, could have been a mediator for us. That would have been um, that definitely would have been a, a help. And, and you've written to the Garda Commissioner? We have, yeah. We we wrote um, yesterday. He should have that today. So we've um, lots of questions. We've requested um, to meet him, to discuss those. And we really do think that, um, that he'll do the right and honourable and decent thing and meet with us to discuss the questions that we have and the concerns that we have. You know, and the concerns of what we've outlined to you, like why when I was um, when he was at the side of the road, why did he not get the solicitor when he was when he was arrested? Why was he not considered for an adult caution? Um, why was he charged when he was in a drunken state and couldn't understand it? Why? What was their duty of care in all of this? How did they feel that they fulfilled it? I just, um, it's um, look at it's just really frustrating. So it is. You know what we're asking for, considering. What we have lost, what we're asking is how much. It really isn't. Like we have to, um, our son's not coming home. You know, we never get to watch him play football again. You know, we have to trade places with the side of a pitch for the side of a grave. You know, we, you know, we need to know why this is our life now. We need to know why we're traveling this road now. You know, I think if the, if the commissioner walked one mile in our shoes, he wouldn't hesitate to bring about the changes and he wouldn't hesitate to listen to us. You know, one parent to another, he would understand, he would try to understand and he'd want this. I mean, it makes sense. 
it makes sense. This opens up a lot of issues. Discuss them, talk about them, bring about the changes that are necessary. Absolutely. Vicky, just turning to you, really, specific changes you would suggest, Vicky, that, that, that has been highlighted by Pats Befall and Niall and, and Joanna and John? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. I think the adult culture should become a, a mandatory consideration, which would involve a cooling off period because that's only um, can be done by a superintendent. So it wouldn't be done on the night. And, and just a little bit of space to reflect what's the best way to approach this. Um, you already have it. Like the question of the hour caution is, is it in the public interest? All we're suggesting is it should be made mandatory because that scheme operates on a kind of um, HQ directive basis. I think their points around um, risk assessment are really key. I think Commission on the Future Policing recommended that we need to move towards custody suites that have medical, mental health staff, in situ, capacity for drug testing, all of these things. Um, and so the risk assessments are done and nothing should be explained. I mean, th- some of this is already a legal requirement. It's the guard's duty to make sure somebody understands what's going on. Um, and from what's been said, that duty was not fulfilled. If somebody's been released when they're completely inebriated, how can they understand what's been said to them? I think the proposal for some kind of family liaison officer But I also think, I mean, I think there should have been an investigation into this, preferably by GSOC. Um, So the the legislation in that regard, Section 102 referrals for death or injury in or following custody only arises where it seems that a guard may have caused the death. Whereas I think for completeness, so that we can have confidence in how people are being treated in guard stations, I think that should be broadened. Um, and you know a death that happens within four hours of release and the guys should want to investigate that they should want to understand um, whether or not what they did contributed to that in any way and there should be that organizational curiosity um, at the heart of it and I think you know we really need to move on independent inspections of places of detention get the alcohol protocol implemented um, and you know these are yeah there's a range of things that need to happen. Just culturally, Vicky, like uh, Joanna and uh, John, what, what, what they've described, what came across to me was that the attitude from the Gardaí in general and possibly corporately as well is the first instinct was to be defensive rather than helpful to citizens. I mean, this is a key part of police culture the world over. There's nothing unique about the guards in this. Isolation and solidarity has been identified as absolutely key. So the second something goes wrong, you know, you support each other. It's such a difficult job. And that's part of how they cope with the difficulties of the job is to know that they can support each other. You can trust your colleagues to have your back. But we've seen time and again in Ireland how that has played out. I mean, you go to the Mars Tribunal and you don't hang your own. um, That famous quote from there. So this is about, you know, you can do the two at the same time. Like, I'm all for a superintendent who wants to make sure that their officers aren't going to be traumatized by meeting grieving parents, because that's a really hard thing to do, um, as you and I both know. Um, And all for supporting that, but about doing it in, you know, an open way. um, Like this is something that has to happen on both sides. Where the officers that, you know, there's also question marks, like if you've been working one night and, somebody that you had arrested took their own lives a few hours later. Um, Do you need access to counselling and supports? Was that considered? So this is a medical approach that is better for everyone involved. 
um, and recognizes all of the trauma that can be caused in this, but isn't, yeah, it doesn't jump to defensiveness, but jumps to how do we respond with compassion and empathy for everyone concerned. Finally, I put it to John and Joanna that it could be the case that the guards had done everything they were supposed to do under the policies as they exist now, and that the problems as they are may lie with those policies and how they're framed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I mean, I'm sure it's within their policies that they explain information to someone and be sure that they understand it, that they don't, you know, that they need. And they, that didn't happen. I mean, where in their policies does it say, you know, that that doesn't matter? I mean, that. And like, is it not in their policy as well that if somebody asks for a solicitor, that that happens? You know? Yeah. Um, and if someone's arrested for their own safety. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there is present policies that don't seem to have been adhered to. And I think in ways, the questions we have is going to be very, very difficult for them to answer. I think they're afraid they know there's accountability in this. But we have said on countless times that that's not what it's about. We want, we would be just, we just like to think that by answering them as honestly as they can and in their realisation that maybe mistakes were made, that things could be made better. Things could be improved in the future. I mean, that's. And if, if they're going to back away from this because they're afraid to answer these, then that's not going to achieve anything. That's not going to help anyone in the long run. Now, I also put a number of questions to the Garda Press Office about policies in this area. And just to uh, touch on a few that are relevant, they gave me quite a comprehensive reply and referenced where these policies are and uh, how they pertain to the situation. Um, should point out, obviously, they were not commenting on this case specifically. They don't comment on individual cases. In terms of the adult caution that we've spoke about there, that is discretionary according to Garda policy. It can be used for a number of offences, for example, intoxication in a public place, disorderly conduct in a public place, uh, even threatening abuse or insulting behaviour, uh, failure to comply with the direction of a member of Ungarda Shiakana, willful obstruction, that kind of thing. I think the, the the really relevant point here is that the caution is discretionary. It's at the discretion of the Garda to decide whether or not it's appropriate in particular circumstances. The point Joanna was making earlier was that why would it not be mandatory? Or perhaps, and this is just my own opinion, even uh, a scenario whereby um, further training could be given on it and encouragement that in every possible situation, bar those that are very obviously not suitable, that it could be used. But one way or the other, I think the O'Hara's are of the opinion that that's an area that could certainly be explored. In terms of the liaison officer for a family, now again, in the policy, there are specific instances where a liaison officer is automatically appointed, such as involving a homicide or a kidnapping, one or two other very serious ones. Crucially though, a district officer can appoint a family liaison officer to any incident, including suicides, a sudden death, a cut death, or any historic incident that a district officer deems necessary. Again, I just wonder in that area, yes, that discretion is there, but I wonder culturally, is there a case to be made that superintendents should be encouraged 
particularly, obviously, an incident like we, we, we've um, we've dealt with today, whether and the superintendent should be encouraged to appoint a liaison officer there that it may ease the pain of a family and give them a, a channel whereby to, to go through in which they would hopefully find it an awful lot easier to find out what they want to do. And again, remember, if liaison officer is there, the man or woman is obviously perfectly human and they'll come to know the family and they'll come to realise that what this family want to do is just know what the situation is and that they're not threatening in any way and that there's no need to be defensive. That kind of thing. But one way or the other, as I say, it is discretionary and a liaison officer can be appointed. Again, there may be an issue here in terms of resources, but that, of course, is something that should be looked at one way or the other as well. Vicky Conway mentioned the possibility of referring a debt like this to the Garda Ombudsman and the Garda Press Office has pointed out that there is provision in the relevant legislation to revert to the Ombudsman to investigate uh, a debt that is at the discretion of a commissioner or the Minister of Justice if they feel it is appropriate. People can argue whether or not it might have been appropriate in this instance, but again, there is discretion there. Look, overall, this is an awfully tragic story. Um, a young man lost his life. His parents, quite obviously, they're attempting to get some kind of closure. They just want to find out what happened. And it's a pity that that could not have been facilitated. And I think it highlights that there are shortcomings there in terms of culture, in terms of resources, and in terms of attitude, I think it's fair to say, when it comes to dealing with cases like this. That's not to take away from the good work so many individual Gardaí do, even in very trying circumstances like this. But you'd have to wonder about the, the, the cultural approach and the instinctive approach that's there that uh, would prompt most involved to reach for defences rather than to reach out to bereaved parents. I'd like to thank John and Joanna for talking to us today. Um, I think it's very brave of them to come out in public and also that they quite obviously feel that they want to help in a manner that no other family should have to go through what they have gone through and that hopefully in this respect they'll be able to bring about some change. I'd also like to thank Dr Vicky Conway for also being with us on the podcast. From ourselves, thank engineer JJ Vernon and thank you for listening. You can get us on all the usual platforms and you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at, at mickcliff. We'll see you soon, folks. <laughs>